Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time in study together today. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning knowing that your word is true and your word reveals who you are and who we are. Father, I pray that we would seek to understand you by your word, not by how we as humans define you or as uh, how we as humans would like you to be, but as you are. And may we understand who you call us to be from your word as well. Father, teach us how we are loved by you and how you love us and how you call us to love one another. Father, I pray that you would bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 13. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 35 as we continue to study through a theme that we're going to be in for the next year or so, which is a study I'm calling Disciples of Delight. We're looking at Uh, how we are called as Christians to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we began last week by seeing, uh, by beginning to define what it means to be a disciple. And we're going to do that by looking at different uh, words that Scripture uses to refer to discipleship. And the first word we found was the Greek word methetes, which is translated into our English word for disciple. And we saw first that a disciple is chosen by God. And so today we move to the next characteristic of what a disciple is, as we find in John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, that a disciple is loved and a disciple is called to love. So let's start by reading John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. John 13, verse 31, God's word says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm starting 21. Way too early. Uh, I've, in my Bible, I've got this huge arrow that's, pointing, arrow that's pointing at verse 21 for some reason. So I was distracted by that. Verse 31. Uh, when, he had said, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself, and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So in this passage, I want us to consider two points that help us to understand what it is to be a disciple. First, I want you to understand that a disciple is loved by God. And second... As a result of that love that God shows for his disciple, the disciple is to love others. So a disciple is first loved by God, and second, he is to love others. So first, a disciple is defined by the fact that God has set his love upon him. So our passage is situated in the middle of a long farewell that Jesus is giving to his disciples before he goes to the cross. 
He's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's washed his disciples' feet. And he's just announced, as I started to read, uh, that one of his disciples will betray him. And he knows that the next three days are going to be a true test of his disciples. And so he wants to root them in, in an eternal principle. And this eternal principle or this command is given in verse 34. Love one another just as I have loved you. So I want to zero in on this command as we understand the love that defines a disciple. I want you to notice that this command, first and foremost, has a motivating factor. The motivating factor is found in the second part of this statement. I have loved you. A disciple, first and foremost, is characterized by the love of God. Brothers and sisters, understand that if you have received a call of God to follow Him, it is because God has set His love upon you. God has not called you in malice or for torture. God has called you because He loves you. And there are five characteristics of the love of God that we need to understand. Because, to be quite honest, this is the most distorted, most uh, abused characteristic of God that we find in our world today. And so we need to understand the characteristics of God's love because it matters to us as we follow Him as His disciples. So first, the first characteristic that I want you to understand about God's love is that God's love is unconditional. The Greek word that is used here when Jesus refers to his love for his disciples is the Greek word agapeo. If you want to spell it out in your notes, it's A-G-A-P-E-O, which is unconditional love. Now, in the Greek, there are a number of different types of love, and that's actually very helpful, right? Because we, in English, we just have one word for love. And so we love our cat, and we love our wife, and we love our, our pizza, you know, and we use the same word, but we mean different things. At least I hope we mean different things by the loves that we have for these different uh, objects or people. But in Greek, there are various different words for the word we translate into love. So, for example, there's eros, or sensual love. There is philia, or brotherly love. But when Jesus says that he loves his disciples, he doesn't say that he loves them like a brother or that he has warm, fuzzy feelings for them. No, he says that he loves them unconditionally. If Jesus' love for his disciples were based on their loyalty, if it had conditions to it, then he would have no reason to love them within just a few hours of the statement that he is making here. Because in just a few hours, they all will abandon and deny him. And we, as believers in the 21st century, should praise God for the truth that God's love is unconditional. Because if God's love for us were conditional, then we wouldn't be accepted either. No one can earn God's love. Now, I want you to hear me on this, sinner. No one can earn God's love. And additionally to that, no one can keep God's love. There is nothing in this world 
that will make God love you any more than He already loves you. Because His love is not conditioned on what you do. And there is nothing in this world that can cause God to love you any less than He already does. Because His love is not conditioned on who you are or what you have done. No one can earn God's love and no one can keep God's love. Yet God loves us anyway. His love is unconditional. Second, God's love is incomparable. So there's a common error that modern Christians make when we talk about love in general and when we talk about God's love particularly. And the error is to assume that there is only one kind of love, that there is only the emotional, attractional love, and that this love is innately good. So if all love is emotional, attractional love, and that love is good, then it doesn't matter who I love or how I love. As the popular saying goes, love is love. And I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, because when you say zero equals zero, well, of course, zero equals zero. That doesn't prove anything. The error worsens by applying this same rule to the love of God thinking that because God is love, He must love as we love. And there are numerous false beliefs that spin off of that error. For one, some people think if God loves like we love, then that must mean that His love is finicky and capricious. Sinful humans bounce from one lover to the next, finding fault, becoming dissatisfied, lacking commitment, So if this is the way sinful human beings love, then that must mean that God loves that way too. Others think that God's love is defined by tolerance and acceptance. Many define love as an openness towards others, a willingness to accept someone and appreciate them just the way they are. So if that's human love, then it must mean that that's the way God loves, right? But God's love is not defined by human love. Now, it's true that 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 explicitly states that God is love. But it is not that love defines God, but that God defines love. If we want to see what true love is, we don't look to humans and then apply that to God. No, if we want to see what true love is, we look to God. You see, God defines all things. He defines what is good. He defines what is ordered. He defines what is right. And He defines what love is. You see, humans, because of our sinful nature, we can't define what love is. We aren't made to define what love is. But God defines what true love is. And there's a recent movie that I've seen before, but I watched again, and you might have this rolling in your head as I'm saying love is so many times. But Micah and I sat down and watched Forrest Gump uh, again. Uh, he's never seen it before, but I watched it. And, and it's a beautiful story of exactly what I'm talking about here. The difference between holy, true, good love and human sinful love. And there's that famous line that you can help me with. Remember, uh, Forrest Gump tells Jenny, 
I might not be a smart man, but what? I know what love is, right? And if you think about in that movie, the contrast between the love that Forrest Gump has for his friends and the love that his friends think is real love is a stark difference. So in the case of Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant, he rescues Lieutenant Dan and he saves him from Viet, uh, a terrible attack in Vietnam. And as a result, Lieutenant Dan loses his legs. And Lieutenant Dan thinks that because he no longer has any legs, he is no longer acceptable in the world. He no longer has any value in the world because he's lost the only uh, real thing that makes him able. But because of Forrest Gump's love, his persistence in unconditional faithful love, Lieutenant Dan goes from a bitter, hateful man at the, in, in the middle of the story to a man who loves and cares about Forrest Gump and other people. And the same thing is true of Jenny. Jenny thinks that she can use her body and that her body is what defines what true love is and that that's the only way to receive and to give love. And Forrest Gump faithfully loves her all the way through that movie until finally he receives her into a cov- the covenant of marriage and he makes her a part of his family. And his unconditional love changes Jenny. So we have a picture of that unconditional, faithful love that is, isn't defined by human, uh, human characteristics in that movie in and of itself. And that's what we find beautiful in that movie. The third characteristic of God's love is that God's love is holy. Now, holiness means set apart or pure or totally other. And it's not clouded by sinful desires or selfish motivation. So understand that God's call to holiness is motivated by his love for you. Now, oftentimes when we think of the command to be holy or to be pure, we think that that's restrictive, that God's just trying to put limits on our experience as a human, that he's taking away from our freedom and our opportunity to enjoy life and to get the most out of life. And how could that be loving for God to say that I have to be a certain way or that I have to be uh, live in a certain way or do certain things? But understand, as we already established from our study in worship, understand that the truest way to live, the truest way to know purpose and meaning in this life is to live for God. The truest way to have delight in this life is to live in the way that God has made you to live. You see, God made you in a certain way. He created you to have meaning and purpose and satisfaction in Him. And God is holy. God can't be in the presence of sin. And so it is loving for God to command you to be holy. It is loving for God to give you direction on how to live so that you might be in His presence. God calls you to holiness because of His love for you. Fourth, God's love is merciful. Because God's love is unconditional and holy, God is motivated by His love To show us mercy. We cannot live in communion with God unless we are holy. And we all know that we're not that. 
So if we are to live in the love of God, God must show us grace. As Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. You see, God, motivated by his merciful love, sent his only son to live the righteous life that we could not live and die the death that we deserved and rise again to defeat death for us. God, motivated by his merciful love, has given us his spirit who calls out for us, Abba, Father, and who purifies us and leads us in holiness. As Rosaria Butterfield says, God does not love us just the way we are. God's love is costly, bloody, and powerful. Lastly, God's love is covenantal. God loves by setting his promises on people. He did it with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He did it with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And now in our passage, he does it with his disciples. So Jesus is readying himself and his disciples for that horrible journey to Golgotha. And there he will shed his blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the world so that all who believe in him will be redeemed. And he symbolized that sacrifice just a little bit earlier in this chapter by breaking bread and wine in the Last Supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God's love, and hear me on this, friend, God's love is only fully known through a covenant relationship in which he promises his grace and we trust in those promises. And that leads me to my second point. So as a result of God's love, his disciples are to love one another. Notice back in verse 34, the command that Jesus gives. And it's put simply, Love one another. Now, Jesus states that this is a new commandment, but it's not new in the sense that it's never been given before. After all, the Old Testament commanded that we should love our neighbor. And Jesus even said, he taught that this was the second greatest commandment. So why does Jesus here call this a new command? Well, remember, I said that God's love is covenantal and covenants always come with commands. So if you think back to the covenant that God made with Abraham, he commanded as a result of that covenant that Abraham was to go into Canaan. And he also commanded as a result of that covenant that Abraham was to practice circumcision. When God made a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are a marker or a command that is placed over that covenant. And the Ten Commandments, quite honestly, they don't make any sense if we rip them from their covenantal context. After all, if you think about the way the Ten Commandments begin, they begin with a therefore or a because. God says, I rescued you from Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Now... Jesus institutes a new covenant with his disciples. 
He isn't rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, but from the curse of sin. He isn't giving them the promised land of Canaan, but the promised land of heaven. And with this new covenant comes a new commandment. Love one another. Unconditional love is to be the defining characteristic of his followers. And I want that to set in with you, brothers and sisters. Unconditional love is to be the defining characteristic of what it means to be a disciple in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that very thing in verse 35 when he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do people in the world know that we're a disciple of Jesus? Is it because we have the little fish on our bumper sticker uh, as a bumper sticker? Is it because we walk around with our Bible or we have it sitting on our our dashboard? Is it because we wear Christian t-shirts or we listen to Christian music? No. You know the way the world knows that we're a disciple or questions whether we're a disciple or not? Whether we love one another. That is what it is uh, how being a disciple of Jesus Christ is defined. This doesn't mean that all the other commandments are out the window now, that as if God took all the commandments of the Old Testament and condensed them down to one command. Rather, what it means is that love is the motivating factor for all obedience for those who are disciples of Christ. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you, if you are motivated by unconditional love that is rooted in the love that God has shown you in Jesus Christ, you will not hate your brother or sister in Christ. If you are motivated by unconditional love, You will not lust after your brother or sister in Christ. If you're motivated by unconditional love, you will not steal or deceive. If you're motivated by unconditional love, you will not lie or misrepresent or gossip. If you are motivated by unconditional love, you will not long for what others have, but you'll find your contentment in God. So friend, you cannot know the love of God without first trusting in the promises that he has made to you in Jesus Christ. Now, yes, God loves you because he has made you in his image. Yes, God is merciful to you even as you reject him and turn away. But God's love, remember, is holy and pure. And he cannot be in fellowship with those who are outside of his covenant, who reject the way that he provides. So you can only know fully the love of God. You can only know the eternal life that he gives. You can only know the eternal fellowship in his love through faith in Jesus Christ. Won't you turn to Christ today and follow him and make him your master and your Lord that you might know the covenantal love of God. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love as Christ has loved us. That love is motivated by God's holiness, by his mercy, and by his covenant. 
Our love for our fellow brothers and sisters is a witness to the world that we're different. The world does not have the love of God. They have music. They don't need Christian music. They have t-shirts. They don't need Christian t-shirts. They need the love of God. And they need to see that in us. And so when we bicker and we fight and we can't forgive our own brothers and sisters in Christ, when we don't care what one another does day in and day out, when we don't seek to disciple one another in holiness and faithfulness to God, when we don't go after the wayward brother because we, we we're too worried about ourselves, then we tell the world that the love of God is no better than the love of the world. And the world, we can't blame them for associating God's love with human love because so often the disciples of Christ exhibit that same kind of love that the world does. We're too busy being petty, being gossips, being hateful, being despising of other people to show what true, unconditional, covenantal love, merciful love, holy love looks like. And our call as disciples of Christ is to exhibit that unconditional love. The world, they cannot love unconditionally. They, they love, their love comes with expectations and demands and judgment. But within the family of God, Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, we can show mercy and restraint and forgiveness. We can show godly, unconditional love because we have been loved by God. So may we witness to the change that God has brought in us through his love by loving one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace to us for your mercy that you have shown on all of us who are in Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know that love, who has not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would turn to you in faith and believe in you today, that they might receive the covenant of grace through what Christ has done and through the presence of your Spirit in their lives. Father, I pray that you would give us as believers the power to go forth from this place and to love as you have loved. Lord, may we see in our love for our fellow man, in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, may we see the importance of that witness, that we witness to a different kingdom. We witness to a different way of love that isn't defined by human finickiness or human capriciousness, isn't defined by human tolerance or acceptance, but is defined by the covenant and grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Father, may we go from this place ready to love in that way. It's in Christ's name that I pray.